You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. Good morning. Good to see you guys. How are you? You feeling good? Good. I'm going to have you guys open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, please. We are continuing in our series called Greater, Journey Through the Book of Mark. And, uh, man, we are answering the question, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? Who is this guy who has shown up on the scene and has turned the world upside down? And that's why we're here this morning, to get after the identity of that man. And so as you turn in your Bibles to Mark 5, I'm just curious, how many movie lovers do I have in this place? Okay, enthusiastic movie lovers, reluctant movie lovers, I see you, love it. All right, well, see if you know this movie, movie lovers, right? In 1961, a movie was produced that took place on the streets of New York City. In this story, there are two gangs, two rival groups who are fighting for dominance, who are fighting to claim the west side of New York as their turf. So you see, in this battle, they come at each other with fists and knives and rhythmic snapping and some catchy tunes, and the Jets and the Sharks are engaged in what is the most classic, memorable turf wars in cinematic history. What movie is this? Maria. You know what? I've been listening to the soundtrack all week, ever since I wrote those few lines, and I just really told myself, do not sing. I broke it. West Side Story, right? Two rival groups engaged in a conflict for the same neighborhood. Engaged in a conflict to assert their dominance, their control, their influence. Two gangs coming together saying, this town ain't big enough for the two of us. Friend, this is a turf war. And so I share that with you this morning because as we get into our series here, I'm going to share a story with you this morning of another turf war, albeit without the snapping, without the singing. I know, hide your disappointment. But this is a story, right? This is a story. This is a turf war where we are going to see light conflict with darkness. Those who would perpetuate captivity come in conflict for those who would perpetuate freedom. This is a turf war between fear and love, pain and hope. I'm going to share a story with you this morning that I guarantee you will not soon forget. A conflict that will be etched into your memories for a long time to come, friends. This is the greatest turf war in human history. And it's initiated by none other than this man, Jesus himself. You guys ready for a turf war? You got your Bibles open? We're going to do this. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is God's word for our church. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. 
No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Let's pause our story there. This is scene one. And so we see that Jesus and his disciples, they have crossed the sea, right? They have survived the storm. Remember the storm? They saw Jesus speak to the wind and the waves. And as they get out of the boat, as they pull up to shore, as they step on the sand, immediately they're confronted by the scene. Immediately we are introduced to this man who's kind of scary, right? What would your immediate reaction be if you pulled up, got out of the boat, you thought this was a nice beach trip, right? Nope, you're confronted by this. What are you doing? What are you thinking? What is your assessment of this man? Well, you see, they get out of the boat. We see it. It's kind of freaky. I mean, it's kind of scary. This man is clearly not in his right mind. And perhaps as we view him, we say, man, this guy is a problem. Oof. Maybe we should go to another beach. This guy is a problem. But as we read more carefully, as we get into the narrative, we realize, friends, that this man is actually not the antagonist of the story. He is not the, the bad guy. He is not the antagonist who needs to be confronted. This guy is not the antagonist. He is the victim. And as we read the story, we realize that the kingdom of darkness is taking prisoners and we've just met one. You see, Mark explains this man's condition like this. It says he has an unclean spirit. This is an evil spirit. An agent of Satan has taken residence in this man's life and has made him prisoner. This man's afflicted. This man is being tormented by powers of darkness. As a result, it is causing pain in every aspect of his life. This minion of Satan has put this man in a holistic hell. And so when we see, not a problem, when we look at him as a human, we see the extent of his affliction. First of all, check it out. He's homeless. This man lives among the tombs. He does not have a place to lay his head. And he's not even like the, the other homeless people in town. You know, the other homeless people, they get to beg by the gate. They get to post up outside of Starbucks. No, this man is so homeless that they push him to the outskirts of the city, out of city limits, and he has to make his dwelling among the dead. The only ones who would tolerate this homeless man's presence are those who were dead. And so he's sitting in a context of death, a very, very appropriate picture of what's happening in this man's life right now. He's homeless. Emotionally, it says he was always crying out night and day in deep anguish. Emotional turmoil. This man is in pain, in deep distress. Physically, we see that the spirit that is holding him captive, the spirit of darkness that is at his work in his life, is leading him. There, there is this compulsion towards self-destruction, and he harms himself. He's cutting himself with stones. <sighs> Let's not even get started socially, right? Does this guy have friends? Is this guy being invited to community group tonight, 6 p.m.? Bring your Bibles. 
Now, this man is alone. He's isolated. I love what Mark does here. Mark is such a vivid storyteller. He doesn't say that the man has a demon. He says he has an unclean spirit. These are interchangeable. Demon is an unclean spirit. But when you say demon, you think evil. I'm picking up notes of evil. Unclean spirit is a reminder that in a world that thought in terms of clean and unclean, this man's condition has rendered him unclean. He doesn't just have an unclean spirit. He is now himself unclean, an outcast, unfit for society, unwelcomed by people, avoided at all costs. Spiritually, he's enslaved, a captive of the forces of darkness, hopeless and helpless. Friends, I told you the kingdom of darkness is taking prisoners. Welcome to another day in the kingdom of darkness. This is how it goes behind enemy lines. This is what life is like on Satan's turf. This is not an exception to the rule. This is how things are going down all day, every day in the kingdom of Satan. This is what John 10.10 says, right? It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, where I sought to bring life and vivaciousness and abundance and flourishing, the enemy has come to wreak havoc. Satan's play is relational, physical, economic, emotional, and spiritual ruin. This is his thing. This is what he does. This is par for the course. And so we see this man and we realize the kingdom of darkness has him right where they want him. He's a prisoner. Deep behind enemy lines. He's a captive and he needs someone to save him. And so what does the community around him do? What is their best response to this man's situation? Check it out. It says here, he had often been bound with shackles and chains. Do you see the irony here? Their best offer, their best solution for the man who is bound by chains of darkness is to bind him with physical chains. Their best solution, their strongest men, their greatest thinkers, their smartest people, their solution, their thought was, let's just constrain the man because he's a problem. And rather than seeing a captive to liberate, they saw a problem to constrain. And as, he, as we see him break the shackles in pieces, right? Probably with superhuman strength. As he breaks apart the chains, as he, sh as he shatters the shackles, we realize that their best attempts don't even begin to touch his deepest problems. Their strongest men, their greatest methods, none of it worked because they were treating him like a problem in need of chaining, not a captive in need of freeing. Welcome to the kingdom of darkness. You see, we're in 2022, and so we read this story, and, and there's some startling details. There's some weirdness going on, right? In a, in a worldview that is not often thinking in terms of spiritual uh, conflict, we go, that's weird, but here's where we would make a mistake. 
we might be tempted to put this man in a category by himself, right? To go, well, that's weird. That's wild. And it stinks to be him. And we miss the point, friends, that Mark is trying to make. This is us. This is us. When we look past the startling details, when we look past the weirdness of a, of a story written in a different culture, we start to see some of our own affliction in this man. We start to see some of our own pain points in his situation. And we realize that there is more parts of our life that are under the influence of the kingdom of darkness than is under the kingdom of God. And so your relationships, your emotional state, your physical well-being, your very souls, right? We are under the strain and affliction of the kingdom of darkness. And so God has given us this story not as a window into this man's pain, but as a mirror into our own. Friends, we too are captives. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3 says that we were all born following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Friends, this is where it's crazy, right? We may not live in tombs. We may not be homeless and wandering the mountainsides of the wilderness, but we have all been born into and surrounded by the influence of the domain of darkness. I hate to say it, but it's true. His problem is our problem. We're captives. We're all born like this. Not just prisoners, but perpetuators of the ways of darkness. And so this man reminds us that no one who is born, no one who resides in the kingdom of darkness is safe from the effects of sin and evil. And here's what happens if we don't realize that this is our condition, right? There are lots of people in this world, and some of them mean well, who will come to you and say, here's the real problem. Here's the crux of what you're going through. If you just had more of this, if you can do more of that, if you just tweaked this, this is your problem. But all of those methods are the equivalent of people throwing more chains at a person who's already captive if they fail to address our real problem. We are all enslaved, shackled by sin, prisoners of war, sentenced to death deep in the enemy's turf. We need someone to address our problem. But friends, captives don't need self-help. We need saving. We need freeing. That's the bad news. And standing on the shore, we see this man. And in this man, we see the extent of our bad news. But when we look at the man in the boat, when we look at the man who's about to pull up on shore, that's where we see our good news. Good thing you have your Bibles open, right? Here we go. Let's continue reading. Verse 6, the story continues. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. 
And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Friends, I already told you, number one, the kingdom of darkness is taking prisoners. Number two, the king has come for the captives. Good news, the king has come for the captives. Notice this unclean spirit recognizes Jesus. Right? When Jesus gets off the boat, this man doesn't just stroll over and go, oh, look who showed up. He doesn't just wander over to him. He doesn't presume to talk to him chest to chest, toe to toe, eye to eye. It says he ran and fell down before him. He ran to and snapped to attention and prostrated himself before the one who outranked him by light years. He comes in a posture that is appropriate for those who come before a king on his face. It's a weird start to a turf war, isn't it? It's a weird start to a conflict. Next time you're in a fight, I want you to try that on your face. See how it works, right? A weird start to a turf war. But you see, friends, the question that we've been asking, who is Jesus? The supernatural beings already know the answer. It says it here, right? They already know that this is God's son, the son of the most high God. They know that this is the king of God's kingdom. And if Jesus has finally arrived, like he promised long ago, if Jesus has finally shown up on the scene like they knew he would, then that can only mean one thing. The king is here to inaugurate the rule and reign of God's kingdom. It can only mean one thing. The king is here to defeat the kingdom of darkness. And so this, this demon knows that it's the end of an era. This kingdom knows that the arrival of the, or the spirit knows that the arrival of this king has marked the end. And so he pleads with him, do not torment me. Do not do to me what I know you are going to do to me in the end. Please, a little bit more time. Please do not yet begin Operation Revelation 2010, which says this, that the, that the one who deceived us would be thrown into the lake of sulfur and fire and night and day be tormented forever. You see, the supernatural, no, they know. The kingdom, the, the kingdom of darkness knows that Jesus has come to take captive the captors. They know that he has come to defeat the forces of evil that harangue us and that continually clobber us and deceive us and oppress us. And the liberator has just shown up. And the powers of hell who have wreaked havoc will one day experience the perfect justice of God. And as this demon speaks, do not torment me, we realize, oh, this was not a turf war. This was a lopsided invasion from the kingdom of God into the kingdom of darkness. And so Jesus responds, right? Jesus asks him, what is your name? 
What's your name? That kind of sounds like a military scene, doesn't it? Right? Like this, this low-ranking pawn bows before the king, and the king says, report, what's your name? What's your name? And I can imagine the other people thinking, like, uh, should we just tell him what the dude's name is? All right? Like, is he talking to the man? Like, hey, that's my cut. Hey, never mind, Jesus, you got it, all right? And as they listen, it becomes very clear. He's actually not talking to the man. It's like he, he's talking to the man, but, but it's almost as if he's talking past the man, right? Like he's referring to the man in the third person. He says, hey, come out of the man. And people are like, that is the man, right? And they realize, oh, he's actually not talking to the man. He is confronting the unclean spirit that is tormenting the man. He comes to this man, but he's not addressing the captive. He's addressing the captor. He is confronting sin, darkness, and evil because he gets it. Where other people see a problem to constrain, Jesus sees a captive to liberate. And so he's going to the root of the problem. He is going to the strong man, the one who is standing guard, and he's going to incapacitate him to free this man. And says, what's your name? And the demon responds. And here's what gets crazy. Look at it. He says, my name is Legion. Wait for it, pronoun switch, for we are many. My name is Legion, for we are many. Legion, that's another military term, right? A squadron. This is not a single demon. This is not a single captor. But as Jesus confronts darkness here, we see the full extent of just how far this man is in enemy territory. There's a whole squadron of demons afflicting this man. And the state of his affliction becomes clear. His situation is dire. It is desperate. This is an insane level of darkness, friends, a legion of unclean spirits. And we're shown the insane level of darkness, not so that we can fascinate and hypothesize about the rankings of demons and how many are there. This is, it's the opposite. It's not to draw our eyes to demons. It's to say, hey, here's a legion of demons, and he's still greater. Whoa, a legion? Can Jesus handle this? Whoa, I thought this was like a fair fight. Should, should Jesus go get some backup? Should he get a squadron of angels? Can he handle this? And the answer, friends, make no mistake, with the same authority that he spoke to the wind and the waves, this man, Jesus, can speak to demons. Come out. Captives are freed at his word. Jesus is so much greater than the darkness and the evil that oppresses us so much greater that they must bow on their faces before him and flee at his word. And this is what they do. He says, come out. And they, the demons, right, knowing that their days of inhabiting are done, knowing that their days of bringing death and destruction are finished, knowing that there are no more prisoners to take advantage of because King Jesus is here, they beg permission. This is a true story. You can't make this stuff up. The Bible is wild. They beg permission. They say, let us go into the pigs. The animal. See those pigs over there? Can we go inside of them, right? Their their very nature seeks self-destruction. Their whole MO is to destroy. And they say, ah, can we go there? What? 
I was telling my wife yesterday, I was like, I'm not eating bacon for a solid month. I just, I just got to let time, I just got to let this thing pass. I got to get to the next sermon or something. But what do they have against the pigs, right? And I'm reading all these guys who take themselves too seriously. Well, the pigs, actually, in that day, I'm like, it was a pig, man. They went and destroyed a herd of pigs. And I don't know why, right? Maybe Jesus saw it was a fitting place. An unclean spirit? Sure, go into the unclean animals. I don't know. But regardless, as they go into the pigs, as 2,000 pigs jump off of a cliff to their death, here's the point. All of that destructive force that you see was inside the man. More than, than a lecture on pork, friends, this is an opportunity for us to see visibly what was once invisible. The self-destructive forces of Satan are at work even in us. Even in us. Lord, have mercy. 2,000 pigs, it says. Each of them, there was enough, for, enough space for all the demons, apparently. And all of that was in this man. Can you see, friends, he was not a problem who needed chaining. He was a prisoner who needed freeing. And Jesus has done it. Come out of him. Boom. The man is free. Friends, this is Jesus' message. This is Jesus' mission. In this picture, in this bizarre scene, we get a snapshot. We get a quick summary, a Cliff Notes picture of Jesus' entire mission. This is what he's come to do. He said back in chapter 3, he gave this amazing metaphor, and he said, I've come onto earth, and it's as if Satan and his armies are holding all of you in captivity in their basement. And he says, I've come to bind up those who are standing guard. I've come to incapacitate the strong man and then go into the basement and liberate you. That's what he's just done. That's what he's just done for this man. And so for those of us who are captives, for those of us who are hearing, who need to be saved, and we're hearing about the Savior, friends, there is no greater news than this. The King of Heaven is greater than the forces of hell. The king of heaven is greater than the forces of hell. East Point Church, this is his mission. This is his power on full display. This is the point. He has come to rescue us. He has come to set us free from the powers that seek to keep you slaves to sin. To set you free from the powers at work on this planet who seek to destroy your relationships, who seek to keep you in spiritual death to those who would deceive you and cause you emotional turmoil. Ultimately, he is opposing the forces at work that want to keep you from living life the way that you were meant to be lived, with God and for God. You are in captivity, but make no mistake, the king has come, and the king of heaven is greater than the forces of hell. And so this power display, this display of supernatural strength and authority, it's not just good news for the man who sat on the beach. It's good news for every single one of us who sit here in a chair. We need him, friends. We need the man in the boat. The king has come for the captives. The king has come for you. And so what would you do if you were at the beach that day? Like, honey, let's go to the beach. Pack a picnic. 
I know just the spot off of Gerasene, right? And you will never forget that beach trip, right? Jesus shows up in a boat. He's rolling deep with his disciples. This man runs at him. He, boom, hits a wall, falls on his face. He's talking in the, in the first person plural. Pigs are committing suicide. This is wild. What is your reaction? What are you doing as you see the, this display of power? Well, let's look at the final scene of our story and let's see what their reaction was. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. Chapter 5, verse 14. Here's how it ends. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Friends, my final point, the king is both rejected in fear and followed in faith. The king is both rejected in fear and followed in faith. They saw this. They saw what he was doing. They saw his power. And yet we see two very different responses. Two very different reactions to this authority figure that just walked onto the beach. And so the crowd, they're hearing the news, right? You got you to feel bad for the herdsmen, right? A little bit. Like, there's their livelihood, right? And Jesus is like, I spare no expense for the souls of man. I love it, right? And so their livelihood, they're running around, and they're telling everybody, dude, you got to see this. This is crazy. And so the crowd rushes into the scene, and they see the homeboy fully clothed in his right mind, eating a peanut butter and hummus sandwich. And just like the disciples on the boat, remember when the disciples were on the boat and their teacher is having a casual conversation with the wind and the waves? And it says they knew they were in the presence of something other. In that moment, they realized they were interacting not just with an ordinary teacher, they were in the presence of someone greater than anything they've ever experienced, and they were afraid. Rightly so, right? And we see the same reaction. These people are looking at the man, they're looking at the Savior, the liberator, and they go, man, we couldn't even bind him with chains. And he did it with a word. We are in the presence of something greater than we can understand, greater than we can control, greater than we're maybe even comfortable with. And so how do they respond? They beg him. Not ask him. Not politely suggest. It says they beg him. Look at your Bibles. They beg him to depart from their region. Please leave us alone. Please get out of here. Hey, we, we don't want any trouble. We, we, this is different. We don't really know how to handle this. We're in control here, and you're upsetting the hierarchy. Just please leave. And then Mark, he pans the camera over to our guy, sitting in his right mind, fully clothed, and he too is begging. He too is begging Jesus, but what is he begging? 
Not for him to leave, but that he may come be with him. There's our phrase. Underline that right now in your Bibles. Every time you see that, be with him. Those are the exact words that Jesus gave in the call to discipleship. He said, come, I choose you that you may be with me. And so here we are, another, another instance where we see two different reactions. The crowd, they scratch their head, they don't understand Jesus, and they don't care to understand him. But you see, those who are leaning in, those who are hungry, those who want to follow him, those who say, I want to be with you, that is called faith. They believe he is who he said he is. He, this man has just tasted a, a level of freedom. He has tasted a level of peace that he has not known in a long time. And he says, I want to go with you. I want to travel with you. I want to hitch the wagon of my life to you. Wherever you go, I will follow. Let me join this immersive internship. Let me te teach me how to live life. Let me follow you from town to town. Two very different responses. And I love how Mark, he puts them right next to each other. He even uses the same verb. They're both begging, but very different. He puts them next to each other as if to say to us, so which are you? What is your reaction to the one who outranks the kingdom of darkness? What is your response to the one who commands darkness to flee with his word? Friend, I'm talking to you. How will you respond to the one who has come to save you? And I love this story because Mark is saying it really only boils down to two options. You really only have two reactions. You will either beg him and say, hey, leave me alone, or you'll beg him and say, let me come. Which one are you? Leave me alone, Jesus, or let me come be with you, Jesus. And so clearly this man is in the, the let me come, right? He's begging Jesus. Jesus is getting back on the boat, and he's like, well, let's go try the other beach on the other side. And they're going to Christ. He goes, wait, please, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no. What? He says, no, go home. What? And we realize that Jesus, he calls some people to go and tell. But he calls other people to stay and tell. And he goes, no, 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 look what he says here. I need you to see these words with your own eyes in your Bible. He says, I want you to go home and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Go home, tell your community, tell your neighbors, tell your barista, tell your coworker, tell your social media friends, tell your real friends, tell anybody who will listen what the Lord has done for you. He says, I want you to stay and tell the world. Tell them how he treated you with mercy. And it says here, he went away and began to proclaim everything that Jesus had done. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He didn't listen to instructions. He specifically said, go and tell them what the Lord has done, what God has done. And then Mark says, and he went away and began to proclaim all that Jesus had done. Because Jesus is God. And we cannot talk about what the Lord is doing for us without recognizing that he's doing it in the person of Jesus. This is God. This is the king of heaven in human flesh working in our lives to save us. And so he goes and he proclaims, look what God has done. And the next sentence starts with, Jesus did. This is the king of heaven 
who has come to earth on your behalf to save you from the forces of evil and darkness. You see, friends, he doesn't just save you. He sends you. God doesn't just bring you. He doesn't just transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. He does that, no doubt. We all get, pass, we all get citizen cards, right? You are no longer a slave of the kingdom of darkness. You now live in the kingdom of light. But when he brings us in, he gives us an assignment. He says, go and tell the world. And he advances his fame. He advances his glory. He advances the knowledge of his saving grace through the stories of those who have been saved and set free. Friend, have you told someone lately how much Jesus has done for you? Have you told someone Do you understand that this is God's plan in your life to make you into a missionary? This man here, was he qualified to go and preach? What was his education? Well, I studied among the tombs in my time while I was possessed. No! The only thing this man knew is what Jesus had done for him. And Jesus says, that's enough. Start there. Go and tell. Go and tell. Have you told someone lately what Jesus has done for you? Just last week, we had a a dozen or so people get baptized, you know, and I love as people share their stories with their community groups, and they tell people, here's why I'm going public with my faith. Well, you see, this past Easter, we did that, just just that thing. We got uh, people baptized, and I met a girl, and we recently had a conversation, and that Sunday was her first time. And while she was here, she heard one of the dudes getting baptized share his story and talk about how Jesus has set him free from addiction to substance abuse and all these things. And as she's hearing his story, something inside of her says, there's hope for me. Something inside of her said, ooh, I'm not too far gone. And now she's a follower of Jesus. Have you told someone your story lately, friends? Right? Do you understand that God saves people? as we share the simple message of what he has done for us in Christ. And as we tell people our story, they will marvel, not at you, not at me, they will marvel at the one who is greater than the forces of hell. They will marvel at the one who loved us so much that he came and gave his son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but live forever. They will marvel as they realize through our story that the king of heaven is greater than the forces of hell. So let's tell it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we just thank you for this story. We thank you for your word. Thank you that you change our lives through the simple message of the gospel. And Lord, today we see your full power on display. Lord, we see how you have come, not into a turf war, but Lord, you have invaded darkness to bring us into light. And so Lord, we respond. We respond, Lord, and I pray that you would soften our hearts so that we would respond by saying, we want to be with you. Save us, Lord. Save us as we put our faith in the liberator named Jesus. And Lord, I I pray for my friends here, Lord, that are, when they're being honest with themselves, they say, man, I'm kind of in that other camp. This is weird. I I don't really know what to do with this. I don't want Jesus to bother my life right now. Lord, I just, we love them, and I pray that you would soften our hearts. We're all there, Lord, in some degree. Soften our hearts 
so that we can see the beauty of Jesus for what it is, so that we can see the good news of this message for what it is. Help us to see the level of our captivity so that we can then see the glory of your liberation. Free us, King Jesus. We love you and we serve you and we pray this in your precious name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.